This is Jim Fleming. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Stuart Heights or more about our class, or if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can do so at teachings.jim314.com. Enjoy the lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. Low-key morning this morning. A bunch of Alabama fans. Is that the is that the issue? No? Let's not talk about that. <clears throat> Keep talking? Hey, Vandy got a win yesterday. I'm happy. That's We've checked the box for the season. I'm good to go. So, All right, so we're in Colossians this morning. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Colossians. And we're going we're gonna to look at a couple of different passages this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible with maps in the back, um, you may want to specifically grab a handout after we get through reading the text today because we're going to be looking at those maps for a few minutes. And, uh, and then we'll jump around between Colossians 4 and some space in 2 Timothy 4 and at the end of Philemon. Look at some patterns of Scripture here. So Colossians 1. Start in verse 1 and we'll read through 4, 6. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He is reconciled in the body of His flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight, if you indeed continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, 
which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to His saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as I have not seen and has not, have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle all of which concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. If then therefore you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things in the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory." Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you put off the old man with his deeds, and to put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. 
Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I also ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you with this, for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort for me. So now we move into today's text. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear in him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. So, look at the maps. You got the maps? Let's take a look at the maps, because he said a lot of places today, and we're going to look and see where these things relate. So if you see that top map on your handout, or if you have maps in the back of your Bible, you might want to flip back there, because those may be better than the ones that I found. Um, so if you, if you, see the, you see the red arrows on the top map on your handout, where the, it's, uh, G- Jerusalem is in the center, and then the gospel is kind of going out from there. If you go directly up from those red arrows, you see... Uh, a little section with Galatia and Cappadocia and Cilicia. But if you look just to the lower left of Galatia, you see this little area called Phrygia. You see that? It's very, very small. P-H-R-Y-G-I-A. You see that? That's where Colossae is. Okay? That's where Colossae is. So, So with an eye towards that, what I want to do is I want you to flip over to Acts 16.6. Acts 16.6. I'm going to do a little 
history lesson for a second. Well, I guess all Bible teaching is history lesson, right? That's, that makes sense. A little geography lesson here. All right, so Acts 16.6. What's it say? Who's got it? When who? Paul and who? Some folks, right, that he's traveling with. Excellent. But Paul's in there. So when they had gone through where? Uh, yep. And the region of Galatia. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in So they went to where? They went to this area. They were in this ballpark, right? If you flip back uh, to Acts 19.10, I'll just read you a couple of verses real quick. 19.10 says uh, that they dwelt in Asia and that all that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now, if you flip back to Colossians 2, verse 1, I'll show you the verse that implies that Paul wasn't in Colossae. A lot of people read Colossians 2, verse 1 and say, well, Paul was never there. And I don't, I don't think it really says that, but some people think it does, and, and we'll talk through this for just a second. So Colossians 2.1, uh, you see 2.1? For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So there are people that kind of put all those, verse, all those parts of that verse together and say that nobody in Laodicea and nobody in Colossae had seen Paul's face in the flesh. I look at that and I go, maybe, maybe, but maybe the... So, so here, think, about, think about the Bible as a timeline. Everything didn't happen all at the exact same point in time, right? So you've got things that happen and are layered in. So maybe when Paul and his companions showed up in that Phrygia and Galatia area... They started, and they met a few folks, and they left them, and they got those churches going. And now he's writing a couple of years later, and there's a gob of people there that Paul never met. Right? But I think he actually did show up at some point in this space. So, so let's keep going. Look at that second map now. The second map. So you see, this is more about cities. Um, see the little blow-up of the Mediterranean Sea area, and then the... the, the what, what's that called? The, is it called a blowout? I don't know. An insert? We'll go with insert. Insert sounds official. All right, I've got an, an answer there. So you see the Lycus River and the Meander River? So whenever you hear, like, that river meanders, that's actually a joke because there, there, there was a Meander River, right? And on the Meander River, up in the upper right-hand corner of that map, do you see Hierapolis? Do you see Laodicea? Do you see Colossae? Do you see they're really close? Remember last week we talked about these letters that get, you write a letter and it goes somewhere and, it, and they take it to the next city and they read it there and they take it to the next city and they read it there. Well, these would have been read all over the place in this area. Um, do you see where Ephesus is on the left-hand side of that, uh, in, the insert? All right, the letter to Ephesus, we're going to talk about that next week in next week's text, the last little uh, couple verses in the entire uh, letter to Colossians. But if, if you look at, on the bigger map, you see Philippi, you see Thessaloniki, you see Corinth, uh, you see all these different cities that, that had, a, you see Rome, that had a letter written to them. These letters would have been physically walked all around that area and read in different places. So when Paul says, 
I want you to read this into the church of the Laodiceans as well. This wasn't a long trip. This is like 10 miles away. This is a day trip. Start off in the morning, be there in the afternoon, read them the letter. It's a very, very easy thing to do. So I want to remind us just a bit for a second about Colossae, though. I'm going to go back to the stuff that we talked about in week one, because I know you all review all the pages of the notes every week before you come to Sunday school. Right? Absolutely. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so here's your first blank. She's talking about Colossae. Uh, Colossae was a really prosperous city historically, but by the time Paul got there, the glory it had as a city was on the decline. It was going down. Uh, and just a few years later, we think maybe 10, 12, at most 15 years later, there was an earthquake that wrecked the city, just absolutely wrecked the city. Uh, so it had some real serious problems. So, so last week, we looked at um, Tychicus, we looked at uh, Aristarchus, we looked at Onesimus, Mark, Justice, and this week we're going to look at Epaphras, Luke, Demas, and Nymphus. So verse 12, Epaphras... Um, and, and he was mentioned, we, we've already seen his name in Colossians. Where do we see his name in Colossians? This is a tricky one. I just read you the whole book, right? Surely you remember. I just heard it. Where do we see his name? In chapter 1, verse 1, seven. It, many times the, the commentators think that the first person that's mentioned in the church might be the pastor of that church. Right? Because if, if, if somebody was going to write a letter to Stewart Heights Baptist Church and you mention some people, it feels like the preachers might ought to be in there somewhere. Just possibly, right? It feels like a, a reasonable assumption. So Epaphras. Anybody know what his name means? It's written in your notes, I think. Yeah, lovely. His name means lovely. Um, which maybe wasn't unfortunate. Maybe it was. I'm not sure. Kind of sounds like a girl's name. But, I mean, I, don't, I have a son. His name is Caleb. Um, it can also be translated in Hebrew as, as like a, a roving dog. It's a very masculine thing. It's not a... I didn't name him Wildflower, right? I didn't name him Lovely. That's not what I'm going for, right? But Paphras' name means lovely. Uh, who is one of you? So again, we, we really think he's a Colossian here. He's a bondservant of Christ. So that's just a slave of Christ, which, which might, you know, with Paul's penchant for wordplay, this might mean that Paphras was actually a slave. Now, now here's a neat thought. The slave in the house is the preacher in the church. Just soak on that one for a while. That's awesome. It, I, love, I love what the gospel does. The gospel makes everything level. So a bondservant of Christ, that was an amen, greets you or embraces you or salutes you. And this word happens all over in Colossians chapter 4. It's the same word in Colossians 4.10. Always laboring fervently for you in prayer. So this word fervently means to fight or to... Uh, your blank is agonizing agonizing for you. Um, this is the same type of prayer that we think Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane where he sweat drops of blood. You remember this? He's about to go to the cross. He's praying. And, and he, his body goes through what's called, uh, in medical terms, hematohydrosis, which it's such extreme agony that the capillaries underneath the skin burst. And through the pores in your skin, blood actually starts to come out. There's a couple of recorded instances of this in, in history. Uh, one, there was a, a Jewish family that got, uh, their, their home was invaded by Nazis. And one of the women was praying, and the, the Nazi guards testified that when the door swung open and they pointed the gun at her and they shot her husband right in front of her, that she burst into blood. And they went... 
we're going to step back from this situation. And it actually saved her life because it so freaked them out. They'd never seen this before. But she was under such trauma, such stress, that the capillaries in her, under her skin burst and blood started coming through her skin. That's the kind of agonizing prayer that Christ prayed. And the only other person that's described in the New Testament as praying in an agonizing way is Epaphras. Which, if you're going to be compared to somebody... That's pretty cool to be compared with Jesus, right? So agonizing prayer. Agonizing for you in prayer. This is also the only person that Paul ever calls out for doing a good job in prayer. Okay. It's a pretty short list. There's one name. It's Epaphras. So a lot to learn from Epaphras and his uh, small uh, uh, paragraph in Scripture. So agonizing for you in prayers that you may be able to stand or to continue um, to, to stand up perfect and complete. The, the word perfect actually means complete, which I think is funny. And complete means to cram a net. And we've looked at this word before earlier in uh, Colossians. It, it showed up in Colossians 1.9 and Colossians 2.10. This was describing a, a ship that was ready for voyage. So the idea is that, that Epaphras was pl- praying for them that they had everything they needed so that they could set sail and do what they needed to do for Jesus Christ. That there was nothing missing. Because... And this has probably never happened to you, but for me, there's nothing more aggravating than you're five minutes from the house after you're leaving on vacation and, oh, we forgot something. You guys ever experienced this? Uh, no. no, never. never, never, right? No. 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 The, um, you awake and forgot to buy bait. Well, that's not good. <laughs> so, so some things you have to turn around for, right? Yes. And some things are like, ah, toothbrush, ah, we can pick one of those up, right? No problem. Um, we left all the underwear. Nope, nope, we're, we're headed back. 10 miles down the road, 15 miles down the road, we're headed back, right? So, so Epaphras is praying for the underwear is nowhere in my notes, by the way. That was just off the top of my head. Um, so Epaphras is praying for them to be fully complete so they are furnished for the journey so that they can do what they need to do. Complete in the will of God. So this will of God, this, another word for will is determination or choice or inclination or desire. Here's your blank, pleasure. The pleasure of God. What would make God happy? Well, that's God's will. It's pretty straightforward. So, in all the will of God, for I bear in Him witness. Now, you see the, whenever you see a word in my notes, it's italicized. That's the Greek word. So, the Greek word is martyro. And what does it look like? It looks like martyr. You know why it looks like martyr? Because it's the word martyr. Yeah. Now, before Jesus was born, five years before Jesus was born, five, ten years before Jesus was born, we have literary evidence where this word is used as a witness in a court of law. That's all it meant. It meant you were a witness in a court of law. So many Christians were called to testify in courts of law, and as a result of their testimony, were put to death that the definition of the word changed over time from somebody who just gave testimony in a a trial to somebody who died as a result of that testimony. And that's where we get the word martyr. So the definition of the word actually changed during the course of the New Testament. So as Paul uses it here, I bear him witness. I am a witness. I I am giving honest and a good report of what is going on. Uh, And and I'm just going to go back to it again and again and again because I really believe this is true. I'm going to read you this quote from Ray Ortland. God is preparing some of us to stand publicly for Him in heroic ways that will strengthen the rest of us for a whole generation. Did I put that in your notes? 
God is preparing some of us to stand publicly for Him in heroic ways that will strengthen the rest of us for a whole generation. So I do this a lot. I will write out a prayer, and this will be my prayer for a group of people for several weeks or several months at a time. So, so I'm going to read you what I'm going to be praying for us for several months. All right. So Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to strengthen our resolve in the midst of the coming persecution. So we stand as we should for you and your church. I ask for our feet to be planted firmly in the truth of your word. I ask for our hearts to be in tune to the movement of the Holy Spirit. I ask for our minds to be renewed with the washing of the water of the word. I ask that our hands be swift to serve you and you alone. I ask that when difficult times that we would be in sync with the prayer that Jehoshaphat prayed in 2 Chronicles 20.12 when he said, Neither would know what what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Help us to dance to the rhythms of your love and to be content with you and in you no matter what our circumstances. So that's going to be my prayer for us for a while now. For a while. So I bear in him witness that he has what? He has a great... What's your word say? Zeal. Anybody have a different word in their translation? Let's talk about zeal for a second. Now zeal can be really good and zeal can be really bad. Right? Because I can have a zeal for something that is fantastically positive. I can have a zeal for something that is fantastically negative. Let's look at this in in Paul's life himself. So at the beginning of his recorded time in Scripture, we see him having a great zeal. And it was a great zeal for God. It was just a great zeal for God that was completely and totally misdirected. He was attacking and persecuting Christians. At the end of his time in Scripture, we see him having a great zeal for God. But now it is no longer attacking and persecuting Christians. It is lifting up and supporting and encouraging Christians. So God can take zeal that is completely misdirected, run it through the filter of Jesus Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit, and it becomes something wonderfully beautiful. So zeal can go either way in the New Testament. And it's actually described negatively a couple times when it's passion for sin. But here, he has a great zeal for who? For you. And for those in Laodicea, the folks 10 miles down the road. Right? So, so Paul didn't draw a distinction between the Christians in one city and another as far as who was in and who wasn't in. Right? And, and, and I think sometimes that we do this today. Sometimes we say, well, that's not our church. So, so they're over there. No, 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 no. Epaphras had a zeal for the Colossians and for those who are in Laodicea. Now, Laodicea is mentioned six times in the Bible. Four times in the book of Colossians and two times where? In Revelation. Now, from the time that this is written to Revelation is probably somewhere around 30 to 40 years. Okay? 30 to 40 years. And how are they described in Revelation? Lukewarm. This is the spit you out of my mouth church, right? I mean, Jesus said he wanted to spit them out of his mouth. Not a really nice, pleasant, oh, everything's cool, you're cool, I'm cool, you're cool, everything's good. No, 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 no. They went from Epaphras having a zeal for them to spit you out of his mouth. 
So just because you're mentioned in the Bible doesn't mean everything is positive, right? For those of you in Laodicea and those in Heropolis. Now, Heropolis means holy city. And it's called holy city because there were temples to Apollo, Diana, uh, Escalopius. It sounds like something I'd order at Olive Garden. Uh, I said it like six times. Uh, Hygieia. Uh, and we actually have coins from Heropolis that say Heropolis on them with these gods' names and pictures on them. So we, they, they exist today in the world. So we have evidence of that this was a, watch me, a, a holy city. But it was holy to the, the wrong set of gods. So in Laodicea and those in Heropolis. So, so when Paul's in prison, did he have people coming to him? I really want you to get this one right. I spent like a Sunday school and a half teaching this. The answer is? Yes. Good. All right. Great. Yes, he had people coming to him. Yes, he had people that came to him that cared about the people that he was writing letters to, that were able to communicate these facts back and forth. So, so that's Epaphras. And then verse 14, we get to who? Luke. Now, what, was Luke, what is Luke most famous for? He wrote Luke, right? I mean, there's, there's a gospel. He wrote the gospel of Luke. What's he secondarily most famous for? He wrote Acts, too. Now, if you, if you like, counted, maybe, maybe you just had, like, some time, and you counted all the words in the New Testament. I mean, you just got, like, a lot of time this afternoon. You just counted them all up. And you said, like, what percentage of Luke and Acts is the New Testament? It's a third. So, and let me ask you this question. How many times is Luke's name mentioned in Luke and in Acts? Which really, really was a rebuke to me. Because if you look at the bottom of your handout, in the lower left-hand corner, what's that? He didn't have a handout though, right? He's laughing too loud, yeah. Well, and I got to thinking, so why did Luke not put his name in his in the book of Luke or, or in the Gospel of Luke or the uh, Acts of the Apostles? It wasn't about him, right? Who's it about? It's about Jesus. It's about somebody else that's way, way, way bigger than me. And, and if you think about who had a bird's eye view to absolutely incredible events in the New Testament, saw the stuff that Jesus did, traveled with Paul, knew Barnabas, visited, helped to start many of the churches that we are a result of today. And who does he brag on? He brags on Jesus. <laughs> because Jesus is the only one that is worthy. So, so Luke, his name means light giver. His name means light giver. So his name he shows up here in 2 Timothy 11 and 144. Now what was his job? He was a what? He was a doctor. You know why we know he was a doctor? Colossians 4.14. It's the only time it's mentioned. You know why we know he's a Gentile? Colossians 4.14. Because in Colossians, a couple verses before, Paul mentions all the Jews that came to him, and Luke's not part of the Jews. So that means he's got to be a Gentile. So all the sermons that you've ever heard that referenced his, he, that he was a doctor or that his, his, uh, his uh, gospel was written for a more Gentile view of the world comes from Colossians 4.11 in these shout-outs here at the very end of this book. 
Now I want you to think about something. Who else is with him? So Paul's there. Luke's there. We've already talked about Mark, right? So, so just a thought, right? Just a thought. Just a thought. What if they had their Gospels with them? Think about the volume of the New Testament that was going to be written by those three guys. Paul and Mark and Luke. Well, they wrote well over half of the New Testament. Those three guys. And they're hanging out. In prison. <laughs> In prison. Prison. Didn't say Sunday school. Didn't say a nice well-lit room with speakers and sound. In prison is where they're hanging out. Luke, the beloved physician, the agape doctor, and Demas. Now, <clears throat> every single person that's been mentioned so far, there's something said about them after their name is said. What is said about Demas after his name is said? nothing. Now the commentators go absolutely crazy over this because they think this is Paul kind of not sure where Demas is going to end up so I'm not going to say anything positive about him. Uh, that's an argument from silence. Many times they are very weak so let's be careful with those. But Demas's name is mentioned over in 2 Timothy 4.10 and I want you to flip over there. Now 2 Timothy we think is probably written about five years later or so-ish. All these dates I'm going to say are ish because they didn't come with a stamp at the bottom and everything, here's the number, and that's not the way it was. Um, so 2 Timothy 4.10. What does it say? For Demas, in love with this present world. Demas, in love with what? In, with love with Jesus? This present world. This present world. Now remember, this is the shout-out section of 2 Timothy too. We're at the end of 2 Timothy. He's saying, hey, 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 and... Heads up about this person, heads up about this person, heads up about this person, who to give a high five to, who to turn your back on. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Has what me? Deserted. deserted me. And we know how Paul feels about people who desert him, right? He does not feel good about people who desert him. Who deserted him earlier in his career? John Mark. John Mark, right? Oh, the same John Mark who ended up writing the gospel? Yep. Your story's not over until you stop breathing for the last time. I See, I used to say your story's not over until you stop breathing. And then I read through Acts again. And there's a couple times Paul stopped breathing. So I'm going to say your story's not over until you stop breathing for the last time. <laughs> That's it. John Mark, there was redemption. There was beauty. There was, there was restoration not only with Jesus, but with that relationship with Paul. Because Mark is described as being profitable at the end of his life, at the end of Paul's life, being profitable. So, Bebus, who is in love with this present world, has, has deserted, me. deserted me. Gone to Thessalonica. Which, you're going to Thessalonica, that's not a problem. Somebody went to Thessalonica and started a church there. Paul wrote a couple, couple letters to Thessalonica. That's not, there's no sin in going to Thessalonica. But turning your back on the spreading of the gospel, time out, that's not, that's not where he was. So, uh, I think Barclay has the best commentary on this. He says, He is Demas and nothing more. 
which is really sad, right? He is Demas and nothing more. So Luke and Demas greet you. Again, this word greet, this is welcome, this embrace, this salute. Um, and they said, hey. So we've got these six people that greeted the Colossians. We're connected with Paul in Rome here. So verse 15, greet another, this salute, this embrace. Greet the brethren. Uh, the Greek word there is Adelphos. And don't, we spiritualize way too much stuff in the Bible sometimes. It says, greet the brethren. Here's your blank. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, period. Don't make it fancy. Don't make it weird. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And for, you know, I got in my notes, for many of us, our Jesus blood family is far more significant and long-lasting than our human blood family. Um, So greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in, what's the next word in your copy of the Bible? Yours says her. Darla says her. Anybody have a her in your copy of the Scripture? Anybody have a him? We're not sure. There's Greek manuscripts that say her. There's Greek manuscripts that say him. We're not really sure. Guess what? It doesn't matter. It does not change any theology in the Scripture. It is okay. Memphis, we will find out one day in heaven, whether to him, whether to her. The number of pages that the commentators have written about this topic is mind-bogglingly vast. And I will tell you that my opinion is, I don't care. I passionately, wholehearted, you can't make me care about that. All right? Don't miss Jesus in Colossians for arguing over whether Nymphus was a guy or a girl. Now, the name Nymphus means bridegroom. Doesn't feel like a name you'd give to a girl. However, lovely doesn't feel like a name you'd give to a guy. So, I don't know. Right? I don't know. All right. There's a church that is where? In that person's house. You know why the church was in that person's house? Because churches didn't have their own standalone buildings until at least the third century. (gasps) That's right. The church survived and flourished without buildings. It's amazing. It was absolutely shockingly amazing. All right, so what's the point? All right, number one, faithfulness is remembered. Paul is is remembering back. He is communicating this. Faithfulness is remembered. So be faithful. You will notice that there are two links in your notes next to the... Now, what do I do with that section? You see that? Yeah. We are not being faithful. We have dropped the baton. Not only have we dropped the baton, we have kicked it off the road and forgotten about it. So I'm not going to let this happen. We need to go to these websites and sign up and then bring meals for families who have just had babies in their homes. Because those of you that have had babies in your homes know that you need help. So we're going to help. This is where you say amen. We're going to help. There we go. Excellent. Good. Number two, what's the point? God needs workers. So get to Work. work. That's right. Referenced number one. And number three, faithful brothers and sisters will be, remember the blank from last week? Imprisoned. They will be imprisoned. So faithful brothers and sisters must be ministered to. We cannot forget them. We absolutely cannot forget them. Now, your homework for next week is guess what? (coughs) To complete number one on the personalized and to read that little passage at the bottom of the page... Guess what that represents? The end of Colossians. 
This is week 18. Week 19 we will finish with the text. Week 20 we will look at a summary of the whole thing. And it is good. Alright? In the middle of your tables is that weekly update. Lean in. Read those prayer requests. Pray as a group. Write down your new prayer requests. If you've got something that you want to be added on there, let us know. You can put it in the new ongoing uh, section. Make sure your names are at the bottom of the sheet. And thanks for coming to Sunday School. Yes, we're going to stack the chairs where they are in uh, sevens. You'll just stack them where they are in sevens after you pray. So chairs should not move until after you pray. Thanks for coming to Sunday School, guys. Thank you.